Our reading for today is from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all again. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name and to hear your word. And now as we listen to your word, help us to obey, to find our strength and our comfort in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. It feels like God is directing me to preach on my Tuesday morning Bible readings. Last week, it was Romans 8. This week, it's Romans 13. The question of how Christians are to relate to governments and governing authorities, how we are to behave as citizens of a particular country, these have been ongoing debates for 2,000 years. Given that it's the 4th of July weekend, and with all the increased attention and interest about faith and politics, our reading today seems especially timely. It will not surprise you that the call to be subject to the governing authorities has been the subject of much debate, controversy, and confusion over the centuries. It's a passage that is often quoted and used by those in power to enforce compliance of those who oppose them. And for those who do not like the current administration, for example, Romans 13 might especially be difficult to accept. Not only that, Christianity has long been tied historically to American nationalism and patriotism. And despite the principle of the separation of church and state, politicians routinely invoke the name of God and the line between faith and love of country is often blurred. I can remember back in the late 1990s when we used to meet at the Somerset Presbyterian Church, there was an American flag positioned right behind the pulpit in the sanctuary. And every Sunday morning, I would remove it from the sanctuary and put it away. It wasn't that I was being anti-American, 
I just didn't want the association of the preaching of the gospel with the flag behind me. Similarly, I know that we don't use the Presbyterian hymnal, but I find it a little problematic that in it are several national songs, including America the Beautiful and My Country, Tis of Thee. Again, I have nothing against those songs, nor am I against some patriotism, but my concern is that such close association with America and Americanism can too easily misshape and miscommunicate the gospel. This morning, as we consider God's word, the word I want to especially impress upon you is context. Context. We always want to read every passage of scripture in context, but especially those passages that are challenging. We want to consider every verse within the context of the paragraph, every paragraph within the context of the chapter, and every chapter within the context of the book and every book within the context of the entire Bible. Because out of context, you can take any verse of scripture and use it to support whatever you want. For example, the system of slavery was defended for centuries by those quoting Ephesians 6, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling as was the suppression of women by quoting 1 Corinthians 14, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Or laws against interracial marriages by quoting Ezra 10 and other texts. Ezra stood up and said, you have broken faith and married foreign women and so increased the guilt of Israel. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the foreign wives. As these examples illustrate, we want to be careful that we don't take Paul's words, let every person be subject to the governing authorities to insist on total and absolute obedience to whatever form of government that happens to be in power. Rather, we need to be aware of our own particular context as 21st century American Christians and read these words in the larger context of the book of Romans and of even the larger scope of the whole Bible. First, when we look at the context of all of scripture, it's clear that many people chose to act against the governing authorities and were commended for it. For example, when the Israelites lived as slaves in Egypt and started to become numerous, Pharaoh became afraid of a possible slave revolt and ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill all the newborn Hebrew boys. The midwives, however, chose to disobey the governing authorities. Exodus 1.17 tells us the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. When they were brought in for questioning, they even lied to Pharaoh about their actions. And for their civil disobedience, verse 20 tells us that so God dealt well with the midwives and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. God blessed them for their acts of defiance against the governing authorities. In Acts 4, the apostles, Paul, uh, the apostles Peter and John are arrested by Jewish authorities and commanded not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And they replied, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, 
you must judge, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. So they continue to preach Jesus, and they're brought before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, and here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Like the midwives, Peter and the disciples chose to directly disobey the governing authorities in answering to a higher authority. We could talk about Rahab and how she had despised and lied to her governing authorities, or about Daniel who disobeyed the decree of his governing authorities forbidding prayer, or about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused the law to bow down to an idol in direct violation of the governing authorities. We could talk about the Magi who disobeyed the king's command to report back to him about the location of Jesus. And Paul himself did not always subject himself to the governing authorities, but sought to escape their persecution and arrests. Paul's words clearly are not meant to be understood in some absolute sense at all times and at all authorities. At the very least, when a governing authority demands an action against God's command, such as the taking of life or the forbidding of the worship of God, we are called to disobey. Second, we need to see Paul's words in the context of Paul's overall argument in the book of Romans. In the first eight chapters, Paul outlines God's plan of redemption and moves from our condemnation to our justification, to our sanctification, and to our future glorification concluding with the words that great promise you heard last week, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Then in chapters 9 through 11, Paul struggles theologically with the question of the Israelites and how their rejection of the Messiah fits in with God's overall plan and promises. So for the first 11 chapters, Paul gives us, he outlines for us the theology of God's plan of redemption. And then beginning with the 12th chapter and on, he gives us what we might call the implications or the application of what he has just laid out in the preceding 11 chapters. Based on what God has done for us and continues to do for us, Paul writes, here's how to live in light of God's overwhelming mercy. Romans 12 verse 1 says, therefore, that is based on everything I've said so far in the first 11 chapters, therefore, I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul then spells out what this presenting your bodies as living sacrifices looks like for the rest of the book, which includes our reading this morning. The 12th chapter ends with these words, beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then comes our reading today, which is a continuation 
of what it means to present our bodies as living sacrifices and specifically that we are never to avenge ourselves, but to leave it to God. And here Paul pivots to governing authorities as a means by which God's vengeance might be delivered. So now we can turn to our passage in light of this broader context of all of scripture and the book of Romans. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Rather than resisting or opposing the governing authorities, rather than total chaos and anarchy, rather than taking the law into your own hands, Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let me do a little quick word study here. To be subject in the Greek is hupotasso. It's a compound word made up of hupo or hypo, which means under, as in the English words like hypodermic, hypoglycemic, or hypocrite. And tasso meaning order, to arrange or to put in place. This is a word that was used in the military to describe, for example, the arrangement of the troops in an orderly fashion. Its basic idea is to be arranged or more literally to be placed in order underneath. It points to social order, but not necessarily an hierarchical order as a stronger word like obey might suggest. To be subject is more like the Eastern or Confucian idea of social order where everyone understands their role, their place within a complex web of relationships. The social order and the peace associated with it are, is what Paul is concerned about. It's not clear in the English, but Paul uses various forms of this word tasso to order, to arrange, or to put in place six times in the first two verses to show how important it is. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted, that is put in place, ordered by God. Therefore, whoever resists, that is whoever anti-God's order, the authorities, anti-orders what God has ordered. And those who anti-God's order will incur judgment. In context, this is not a full-blown treatise on church and state relations. Paul is not talking about patriotism or nationalism. Paul is not supporting or condemning any particular form of government, Roman, American, or anything else. Our modern notions of state would be foreign to him. He is not living in a democracy where he has some influence and can vote for his leaders. When Paul wrote these words, the emperor Nero was in the early years of his rule when there was hope that he might not be so terrible. This was before Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome while he supposedly fiddled. And before, as tradition teaches, Nero had Paul murdered. Paul was not naive. He knew what empires were capable of. He knows that the crucifixion of Jesus was a complete breach of justice, that the governing authorities failed to praise good and punish the wrong. But Paul also recognized 
that governments and authorities have their role. He recognizes that some sort of civil order is necessary for society to function and that God delegated such authority to human beings and to human institutions. Insofar as governments and governing authorities do that, we can be thankful and be subject to them. We can be thankful for the freedom, for example, that we have to worship, that our garbage gets picked up regularly, that we have traffic signs and paved roads, even if they have too many potholes, that those who speed excessively get fined, even though we hate it when we get caught for speeding. In our particular time and place, we can also be subject to our governing authorities by voting, by protesting peacefully, by paying taxes, by filling out the census, by recycling, by wearing masks, by applying for PPP loans, and in other ways, engaging with the governing authorities. You can even run for a president like Kanye. Paul calls for being subject to governing authorities in the pursuit of peace and the common good. But then he also makes it very clear his rationale by immediately undermining all governing authorities. He writes, be subject to the governing authorities, but then he declares immediately after that, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. This is the key. The reason we subject ourselves to the governing authorities is theological, not political. All authority comes from God. It is given by God. It is put in place by God. One of the things that I've come to really appreciate about the Presbyterian Church is that within the church, we are very clear about this authority. Our constitution, the Book of Order, clearly spells out that all authority belongs to God and that any authority that we have as a church is delegated authority. In the section on the form of government on church power, it says this, that all church power, whether exercised by the body in general or in the way of representation by delegated authority is only ministerial and declarative. That is to say that the Holy Scriptures are the only rule of faith and manners. Our authority is only ministerial and declarative. We are given the authority by God to serve and to proclaim the truth of the gospel. That's it. Not so for Rome. In the time of the Roman Empire, Caesar was a source of all authority. And Paul challenges the basic notion and declares that all authority, even that of Caesar, comes from God. That all authorities, even Rome, is a minister of God, a servant of God. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, and all others who thought that they were gods with absolute authority. But as Daniel 2 reminds us, it is God that changes times and seasons. It is God who removes kings. It is God who sets up kings. Similarly, in John 19, when Pilate tried to bully Jesus to answering him, by telling him that he had the authority to release or crucify him, Jesus answered him, 
you would have no, <coughs> you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. <clears throat> then after the resurrection, Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, not Caesar, not the president. It is not the will of the people that gives government its legitimacy and authority nor is it the consent of the governed, nor is it the divine right of kings, nor is it that might makes right. All authority comes from God. Now, this doesn't mean <clears throat> that those in power always do what they're supposed to do. It doesn't mean that God approves of every action of every governing authority, but God has given authority to governing authorities to maintain order and to curb evil. And as such, we are to be in subject to them. Elsewhere in the scriptures, similar calls are given in regard to our relation to governing authorities. First Timothy two, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions be made for all people, <clears throat> for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's what governments are supposed to do, to provide for us so that we might live peaceful, godly lives. Titus 3, remind them to be submissive, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. 1 Peter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Paul and the rest of the scriptures are not commanding unquestioning obedience to whatever power Christians happen to fall under because all power is fallible and corrupting. Rather, Paul reminds the Christians in Rome, to those who are at the center of the empire, to those who are periodically persecuted for their faith, to respect the concept of authority because it comes from God. God delegates authority so that everyone can thrive and live in peace. Jesus is Lord. All authority belongs to him. And because Jesus is Lord, we have an obligation to live in subjection to the governing authorities, unless, as we saw, the governing authorities oppose God's commands. And this is where it gets very difficult for us to figure out. Christians, faithful, honest, thoughtful Christians have often disagreed about what constitutes opposition to God's commands. I don't have usually easy or clear-cut answers to this question. Likely, you have disagreed and will continue to disagree with me on a number of issues, as my own family sometimes does. But even though we are not given specific action items for every situation and controversial issue, Paul gives us a way to theologically frame our relationship to the governing authorities. 
Let me close by way of this example. As you know, <clears throat> our recorporating committee is preparing recommendations on when and how we might have in-person worship services again. Different churches have made different choices. Some started meeting as soon as the governing authorities allowed them to meet, while other churches decided to meet in defiance of governing authorities as they considered the lockdown contrary to God's command to worship. As for us, our committee is acting in subjection to the governing authorities. That is, we are following the guidelines of the federal government, the CDC, the executive orders and guidelines from the state, and the protocols from New Brunswick Seminary. But I realized over the last several weeks that there is a more fundamental principle guiding the work of the committee, for which I am very grateful. It's not just guidelines and the governing authorities, but the safety, the health, and the well-being of our brothers and sisters. In short, the committee is being guided by the higher command to love our neighbors. And this is actually the context in which Paul writes. Based on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, Paul says that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. How do we do that? We do it by demonstrating genuine love. There are lots of ways that we do this. By contributing to the needs of the saints, by rejoicing in hope, by associating with the lowly, by living in harmony with others, by never avenging ourselves, and by giving to everyone what is owed, whether taxes or respect, revenue, honor, and being in subjection to the governing authorities. Our reading ended with verse 7, but Paul completes this section with these additional words. Owe no one anything except, except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The call to be subject to the governing authorities is sandwiched between two commands to love. It is placed in the context of the command to love. This is only natural, as this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And I think this is a much needed reminder in our day. We are motivated by the care for and the well-being of others. Love does no, no wrong to a neighbor. This is why we wear masks. This is why we maintain physical distance and why we're being cautious about regathering. It's not simply a matter of law and the governing authorities. Regardless of how you decide to be subject to the governing authorities, and I'm sure we will choose to do that in different ways, it must ultimately be rooted and surrounded, sandwiched in the love of God and in the love of neighbors. Whether we meet sooner or later in person, in subject to governing authorities, or perhaps even in defiance of them, 
we do so under the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ and his ethic of love for our neighbors, for our brothers and sisters. How do we best love one another, especially those who are most vulnerable? That is the larger question under which we have to place this question of be, being subject to the governing authorities. Jesus is Lord. Therefore, let love be genuine and be subject to the governing authorities. Owe no one anything, including the governing authorities, except to love one another. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for your word. And God, we thank you that we are able to live in a time and place where we have the freedom of worship. God, help us to be wise, to be thoughtful, to be loving as we engaged living in this country as citizens and as the people of faith. Help us to live our lives, to order our lives under your authority and find ways then to be faithful as subjects of our present governing authorities. And above all, God, help us always to be motivated by our love for you and for our love for others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's pray together now the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.